Welcome to the Teams with Edge podcast with me, your host, Ashley Livingstone. I'm an entrepreneur, leader, community member, and at the end of the day, I'm a human being who loves to learn, be creative, who admittedly makes mistakes, and who's on a mission to bring more joy and engagement to my life and my clients' lives. Over the past 18 years in my career, I've encountered various leaders and teams, some that have thrived and others that have been, well, toxic. And I've realized this is actually not unique to me. In fact, we've all been there. This show is my way of helping leaders who desire ease with their teams, who know there's a better way to lead than the traditional forms of leadership from our parents' generation, and who know that leadership is not gained through following a template. This show will offer you insights and interviews with various like-minded leaders who are all inspiring their teams having those uncomfortable conversations, investing in development, and building a culture of gratitude and value, making an impact. My goal with this show is to motivate you to think about the type of leader you most desire becoming and inspire you to connect, engage, and develop your teams today. Ultimately, showing up for them so they show up for you. Building intentional, conscious leadership. We can do this. All right, let's go. Welcome to episode six of Teams with Edge. Today, I have a very special guest joining me, and we are going to be speaking about psychological safety and whether or not that is a buzzword or a team must have. My guest, Jesse Sherloff, has spent the last 13 and a half years at Google, effectively leading and coaching sales teams using authenticity, value-based storytelling, and selling to drive impact and revenue for her customers. Jesse has recently left the corporate world and taken the leap into solopreneurship as the founder of the podcast and community, This Is My Truth. Creating, building, and maintaining relationships is at the core of who she is, and authenticity, vulnerability, and storytelling have been the cornerstone of her skill set to get her to where she is today as a leader, a podcaster, and a mom. Her passion is working with entrepreneurs to help them develop their brand voice, amplify that voice in an authentic and proven way, and helping to grow their businesses by increasing sales while increasing profit and engagement across all marketing channels. The conversation today with Jesse is real and fun, and I hope you all enjoy. And we're recording. Okay, so welcome everyone to episode six of Teams with Edge podcast. I am so excited for today's conversation. I am welcoming Jesse Sherleff, founder of Jesse Sherleff LLC and host of This Is My Truth podcast. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, me too. I've actually been really getting excited as the week has gone on about our conversation because 
first of all, I love you as a human being. Mm -hmm. I always enjoy our conversations. And I know that what you have to offer is going to be so enlightening to so many people listening. And we're chatting all about how to build psychological safety on your team. So I think we've all been hearing this term a lot lately. Um, maybe the pandemic has really highlighted it um, or exposed the need for psychological safety. Um, but some people are calling it a buzzword, whereas others are saying it's a must-have non-negotiable on teams. So really interested in how you break down psychological safety and, and really what is it? Yeah, so I'm sure anyone can Google you know, psychological safety and get like 9,000 different definitions. You know, I was actually just reading, uh, there was a recent McKinsey study around psychological safety in, in during the pandemic, you know, Google, which is my former company, I don't know if they coined the term, but they spent a, a lot of money and time, you know, doing studies around, you know, team effectiveness and psychological safety was one of the number one, um, you know, outputs of, of their research. But for me, the way that I think about psychological safety, and just for some context, I've been leading teams from a sales and marketing standpoint for um, the better part of 10 plus years. And for me, it's about the culture that you're building as a leader, but as a team. Mm. For me, the way that I think about leadership, first and foremost, I believe that everyone is a leader, regardless of if you have people reporting into you or not. And it's how you're showing up and how you are modeling in your professional life and your personal life. Um, that to me is, is leadership. And so psychological safety to me is an output of that in that when you are building a culture and a climate on a team where people are able to bring their full selves to work. And I also own that that's a, another buzzword in, in, in the business space right now, especially in the tech world, which is where I, I came from. But, you know, ultimately that was, that was my goal as a leader was for, to not only build one-on-one -on -one relationships with every person on my team where I felt that they could, not that they, I felt that they could bring, you know, their full self to work every day into our one-on-ones, but individually as a team, we were all able to do that and that didn't mean that we always all agreed. It didn't mean that um, we had the same beliefs or experiences or values, but we were able to create a framework as a team and create a culture as a team where, you know, even when we didn't agree, we were able to um, respect and listen and engage in a way that was productive, not counterproductive. And all of, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that that's one of, you know, the reasons why so many leaders are not adopting psychological safety or thinking it's, you know, not for, for them, because there is a bit of this misnomer that psychological safety and safe spaces are the same thing. And, or that there's also no accountability. And, you know, from what I know about psychological safety, you need to have accountability and the willingness to be open and accepting um, of other viewpoints. Is that fair to say? 
that's a hundred percent fair to say. And I would even go as far as to say is the accountability is on you as a leader, but also those on the team, you know, it's, we're all holding ourselves accountable. Right. And so I never wanted to be in a situation where, um, I didn't feel like someone on my team could give feedback or have an opinion. Now, now listen, like as a leader, sometimes I had to make hard decisions, right? Like I also don't subscribe to the, like everybody, like, you know, I was always open to feedback. I was listening, open to, to listen to consensus, but at times you do have to make hard decisions as a leader. And at times you do have to make decisions where the team does not feel necessarily involved, you know, because of confidentiality reasons. But I believe that there's a way that you can still have those conversations where you can be transparent and and share, you know, the rationale behind the decisions that you made. And to me, that's where the accountability comes in, right? And the accountability comes both from the individuals on the team, but but also you as a leader. It's not um, just one person. It has to come from everybody, I believe. And I think that that's also maybe a bit, maybe a bit of a relief to leaders is that it isn't all on them. I do believe that, and I've talked about this in other episodes, that leaders do set the tone for how that's going to go, but the team members or those all working together, they have a huge role to play in following through with um, being open and respecting each other. It's not just a, a one way, you know, the leader must respect the team but also team members need to have that same dialogue and it needs to go back up to the leader as well. Would you say that's fair? 100%, 100%. You know, it, it was funny before, um, before we hit record and I was just thinking about, um, you know, there's that, the saying like the golden rule of like treat others how you want to be treated. And I was thinking about this because to me, leadership, it's a partnership. Mm. It is, you know, I'm bringing my skills to the table. I'm bringing, you know, my modeling, my behaviors, you know, and there's also an expectation that we're setting, like the norms that we're setting as a team of like, what are the behaviors that we all want to expect to see from each other? But it's also reciprocated by the people on the team, the, the individual contributors. And, you know, it's not about treat others how you want to be treated. It's about understanding for each individual person on your team, you know, what motivates them? What's their big why professionally, personally? Um, and, and being able to give them opportunities that are motivating to them for them because and Ashley, I know you and I have talked a lot about this at the end of the day, right? People just want to be seen and heard and understood. Like yeah. that is it. And so when you're able to provide those opportunities um, that show that you hear them, that you're understanding that you are explaining why you're giving them this opportunity, which might be out of their comfort zone, but that you're here to, to motivate them and, and cheer for them and be their partner. Um, and I think that's what it is. It's to me, leadership is about partnership. It's not, you know, authoritative of the leader top down. It's also not bottoms up. It's to me, it's sort of walking alongside of each other and being able to create that culture where, you know, people feel motivated, people feel valued. And I think in the pandemic, especially 
I've had so many conversations with, you know, former colleagues, people outside of Google who they're not sure, you know, what their value at work is anymore. And that's really sad for me because Mm -hmm. I think about my own life. I spent so much of my life, like thinking about my career and, you know, Google, especially when I joined in 2007, you know, it, it was home for me. Like that was the culture that, that they at the time were sort of building and all of, you know, my husband was a Googler, my friends were Googlers. And so when you're constantly living and breathing it, you have to um, recognize that like so much of my self-worth was tied to my job. And so when you're not feeling valued or you're not sure how the, the work that you're doing is tied to like your bigger why, like people lose motivation and, and that that's really unfortunate. So what do you think has happened? It has it, is it the pandemic or has the pandemic actually, like we were saying before, just exposed this for folks? I think the pandemic has, has, it's probably a mixture of both. Like I, I was thinking, I've been thinking about that because I think that it has exposed it in a way that so many people are recognizing, right? I've never believed in like, work-life balance. I think that like you're bringing your personal stuff to work and your work-life harmony, work-life harmony, harmony. I love that. I love that. Right. And so, and that's true now more than ever. And so when you're not feeling that motivation, when you're not sort of seeing how the, the work that you're doing is tied to, you know, your why or the bigger why, or it just, it's, it's demotivating. And then it's even more so when so many of us have been in or still in lockdown for what feels like ages at this point. (laughs) A year has felt like five. Is that how we're doing it? Well, and I think too, you know, to cut leaders some slack on this as well, it's been hard on everyone, right? Harder on some than others. And I think that that's Fair to say, but what can leaders do now? So for people listening who are thinking, oh my goodness, this is my team. Um, Do I, how do I even know if I have psychological safety? Maybe that's the first question. How do you know? It's a good question. You know, I mean, I wouldn't recommend going and asking your team being like, do you feel psychologically safe? Because most people are going to be like, what are you talking about? But for me, there were, there were a few things that I thought about as I was thinking about like the culture of my team. And that would, that to me feels like a better word than psychological safety. Mm -hmm. To me, they're slightly synonymous, though a little different, but, um, and so it's, you know, are people helping each other? Are people actually working together, not in silos? Is there cross-collaboration on the team? Is feedback being given to not only me as a leader, but to each individual on the team? Are, you know, people asking about how each other is doing, you know, on a life basis, not just about work, right? Are you actively listening? Are you um, sharing 
you know, sharing the ups, the downs, the wins, the losses, are you able to celebrate failure um, and learn from it and pivot, right? These are, to me, signs of a healthy functioning team where people are um, able to to work as a team and not individuals, you know, so things that were always red flags for me is if there was like a lot of gossip or a lot of back talking, um, that was stuff that I always, you know, if I inherited a team and I sort of spent some time understanding what was going on under the hood, right. And started to like notice that that was stuff that I always wanted to take care of right away because that it's like a virus. Yeah. unintended given that we're <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, but, um, you know, it's, it's so quick to really just seep into everything. And as you're bringing in new people, they're going to become acclimated to that. And that's just, you just want to nip that stuff in the bud, um, in my opinion. And so to me, markers are, are people collaborating? Is it a true, um, you know, not to use like a, a pun, but like, is there, truly like no I in team, like is everyone working together? Are people giving feedback in a way that's actionable and timely? Um, and are, are people feeling motivated and excited to, to come to work? Yeah, I, I love all of that. And I think, you know, from my perspective, going in and seeing teams, so I get to go in as a bit of an outsider, which is always an interesting perspective, because you can kind of see the, the layout of the team and you know, the gossip for sure is a number one. As soon as, you know, I, I can always tell when somebody calls me and says, let me fill you in about so-and-so. Like, to me, that's a huge red flag right away. I want to be someone that you can trust and, you know, have those conversations. But if there's no positive or this person will be motivated by doing this, or here's what is so great about them, if it's, all negative all the time. That's, that's a huge red flag for me as well. And I think too, when I see the ideas disappear, when ideas start to disappear, or, you know, even on zoom, you can see somebody's like thinking about unmuting, maybe they're thinking about it. um, But they don't actually unmute. And I think now, you know, that, that whole being unmuted is, you know, such a, I don't know, great analogy for life, right? We just keep ourselves so muted because we're afraid to share our ideas. And if you are afraid to share your ideas, there's got to be a reason. 100%, 100%. And, you know, you're spot on with that because it's when people are not sharing their perspective when they're not sharing, you know, different ways to be thinking about things, you know, that's, that's how ideas like just crumble and die. The, the inventions, the things, you know, I think about like anything, right. Google or any, any invention, you know, those could have easily died on the table if there wasn't a culture where, people were willing and able to say like, Hey, I know we haven't, um, done it this way in the past, but I think this might be interesting to try. And here's why are you open to testing, right? That launch and iterate culture like dies, uh, like before it even begins in 
in a culture where there's no collaboration or, or willingness to, to hear other perspectives. Yeah. And I think too, I, I see a lot, or maybe not a lot, but I, it's common that you'll give out an idea and everyone's like, great, you, you try that. That again, to me is a really clear sign that folks are working in silos Mm -hmm. and nobody really wants to kind of, you know, all hands in, let's do this. It's more of a, okay, great. You give it a shot. And when you fail, we'll be sitting over here saying you wasted your time. And again, that's, that's where ideas die when nobody else is willing to jump in with you. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think what you're highlighting, right? Like the silos to me is another, I said it earlier, like to me, that is a big red flag. Like if people are heads down, only focused on themselves, like some, there's a time and a place for that in, in all, in all sort of aspects of your job. But if that's 24 seven, if that's like every day, you know, that to me is a big red flag because again, you know, there are so many studies that prove when other voices are at the table, when uh, other perspectives are being brought to the table, like that is where you're able to innovate as a company. That is where you're able to like grow. Creative thinking is, is huge. Um, but it only happens when you're creating space for, for people to, to thrive and to feel like that not only can their voices be shared, but that their contribution is going to be valued. And I think that that's also a big difference, right? Like there's one thing to like have a seat at the table and be able to share your voice and exactly what you're saying. Right. But like, know that you're going to be valued and like, yeah, maybe they say, Hey, try this with your one client. Um, you know, try it and come back to us in, in a week and let us know. And then we'll, we'll put more resources on it, depending on what you need. Like there's a difference, right. Of like you run, you run and do this in a silo versus like, Hey, test it. Like, let us come back and let us know your findings. And then let's like together brainstorm, like what's needed to like grow this idea. Yeah. And I liked what you said too, about your seat at the table. And I've had a lot of conversations in other groups about, you know, your seat at the table. I think that there's also a bit of a due diligence on leaders' parts and your team members. If you are constantly being invited to the table, I think that you should take a look around and see who isn't at the table and make a spot for them. Because if it is just the same four voices, five voices, two voices, all the time, you're, again, you're just now, you're building consensus rather than innovation. So who isn't at the table and how do you bring them in? I think is a really interesting idea. 100%, 100%. And you know, that's something that's true in meetings. It's also true in how you're building your team. So I often, when I was hiring, um, would think about what are the skill sets that are are gaps in our in our team collectively you know like what are the bare minimum skill sets to be like successful in this job and then like what are this the gaps of skills in the team and how can i bring people in 
that, you know, complement or um, are filling in those gaps, right? So it's not just in meetings, like who's the voice, but like, are you building a team that actually is diverse in thought, diverse in experience, diverse in um, perspective? Um, and so to me, it's, it's all layers. And then once you're, once you're building your team, like who's coming to the table in terms of meetings, you know, my last team at Google, we were a sales team, but we were a specialized sales team. So we were often being brought in by the quote unquote, like main sales team, which in a lot of ways was like a very thankless job, you know, and my team could very easily feel demotivated and feel like they were always sort of at someone else's beck and call. And so, you know, simple things like um, at the end of the year, because it was such such a year, right? I simply sent out a Google form to like all of the people that my team worked with. And I simply asked, you know, tell me who you're working with and tell me the three adjectives that come to mind when you think of that person. And then I, you know, I got all of these amazing responses and I created a word cloud for each individual person on my team in the shape of a Google logo, like the G. <laughs> and and right, and it was so simple for me, but like it really made a difference for each individual on my team because, you know, they could hear what their peers were saying about them. They could read it. They could actually get that feedback um, in a way that felt, you know, like kind of fun. And, and then I was like, listen, like it's a little like catchy and cheeky, whatever, but like it, it was, it was just a nice way to end the year. And every person on the team, you know, read, I was like, Hey, if you're comfortable, like, why don't you read some of like the, the adjectives in your word cloud? And so like every person on the team got, got to like share a little bit. And it was just this like lovely moment for the team because everyone got to like celebrate themselves, but also each other. I love that. Based on things from that their peers were saying about them. Yeah. And what a great way and, and a simple way too. I've talked a lot about gratitude and appreciation doesn't have to be expensive, right? That's no. free and it's easy. And, you know, so Google on brand using the Google form and the Google. <laughs> you, know. you can take the girl out of Google, but you can't take the Google yeah. out of girl. Um, but it was, you know, probably a huge um, treat for them to get to do that. And so the, the really, the sharing and having that space. So for leaders, if you are looking at your team and maybe you have like all the intention of wanting to go down this path of creating a culture that is open and collaborative and innovative and feels like home, right? We spoke to Renee last week and she made a really great point about uh, your team, you should be grateful because your team is choosing to spend the better part of their life with you. Yeah. And that's so powerful, but you know, how do you, how do you turn the ship around? It's a good question. And you know, it's, it's not, you're not going to wake up one day and the ship is going to be turned around, right? It, I believe it starts with you and your intention. And again, like I don't want leaders to be like, oh my God, this is so much on me. It's, it's not, it's not just on you. Right. But I do believe it starts with you role modeling. And so something even as simple as, um, I used to, in my cubicle have a, uh, 
a poster and it said, you know, great leaders say, and it was just like a, a spider, like a word cloud almost. And it was like, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm sorry. I like, right. And so this kind of sounds things. like general manners, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it goes back to like, people just want to be seen and heard. Right. And so you know, these are simple things that you can start doing in one-on-ones, in team meetings that aren't going to be like huge, um, you know, time suck for you. It's just like a bit of a flip uh, from a mental energy perspective or a mind shift. And, you know, I think one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader is, you know, say, I'm sorry. And, admit when you were wrong. And like, that is like a very quick fire way to start to like have the people on your team realize like, it's so like, it's okay to like, we're human. It's okay yeah. to not be perfect. And to, and to and also starts. have the grace, sorry, the grace to do better next time. Right. So I think that that's, maybe that's one of the things that I've always thought about the psychological safety or that culture of openness. And when people say, you know, bring your whole self to work and all of that stuff. Um, I think that it's great. I can bring my whole self to work, but sometimes my whole self screws up. And if you are going to quote unquote, punish me or make me feel terrible for my mistakes, then why am I going to show up next time? If I I think that that's one of those things that leaders need to just keep their eyes out for when someone does make a mistake, how do you respond? And what is the lesson there? Because every response is actually teaching someone something. So if I screw up and you punish me either by taking me off a project, um, not giving me uh, the day off that I was supposed to have, like, you know, is telling my, the rest of my teammates, you know, don't make the same mistake she made any of those types of things. If you use me as a, you know, here's the mistake and here's what she did. Um, I'm not the lesson, if that makes sense, because then from there, I'm not going to necessarily feel safe to try again. So, you know, creating a space where yes, I'm held accountable for what my performance is or the mistake I made, but help me learn from it, but don't make me the lesson. 100%. And I've actually been on the lesson side as an individual contributor. I had a director once in a 300 person meeting, um, make, make that comment to me. And it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And I think I've, that's always like stayed with me. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, when, when I've had the opportunity to lead a team, you know, I had a situation earlier in the year where, um, I had someone, you know, on my team ping me and she was like, I need to talk to you right now. And so we, I was like, Hey, like it was when I was supposed to be on leave, but I was like, call my cell phone let's chat. And, you know, she, she made a mistake. She was a human. And, you know, I listened to her. I listened, I asked some questions just to make sure that I was understanding the whole situation. Um, and then I simply said like, okay, like 
let's figure out together how we move forward. Let's figure out our response to the client. Let's figure out our response to the, to the other sales team. And then, you know, you're human. Like, remember yes. that you're human and we will, we will work through this together. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a malicious mistake that she, she had made. She was, it was, it was a mistake. And, you know, that, that moment sticks with me because I could have responded in a variety of ways. I could have been like, Hey, no, I'm actually on leave. And like, I can't talk to you right now. Or, but like, I could tell by the way she was, you know, responding to, to my pings that like something was really wrong. And so, you know, I made that choice to, to jump on a call with her. I made the choice to actively listen and make sure that I was fully understanding the picture. Um, and, and then together we figured out what the, what the next steps were going to be. And I, and I, um, I often think about, right. Like that could have gone so many different ways, dependent on lots of different things. But I think that's at the end, right? Like you learn from your mistakes. Like when I started at Google, we used to have a mantra of um, fail fast, fail often, like launch and iterate. Mm -hmm. And I think that over the 13 and a half years that I was there, I, I often saw us get away from that um, because there are so many type A perfectionist people that work there. But the reality is like, you know, when you, when you make a mistake, it's an opportunity to learn. Yeah. And so I think when you're, when you're thinking about things that way, you have such an opportunity as a leader to really um, create a, that partnership with your team. And again, like people, people are accountable to their actions. Like, I'm not saying it's like a free pass, like at all, you know, when that director made an example of me in front of 300 people, like I made a pretty bad mistake. I, I gave confidential information like on stage you know, and I had repercussions. Like I had like, you know, PR and like legal talking to me, like that would have been enough. Yeah. Like I learned like, my I lesson. I punished myself enough. I yes. punished myself enough. Just like, and you know me, like the type yeah. of person I am. Like, obviously it's been like 10 years and I still think about that moment. Um, and so like, you know, him making that comment to, to 300 plus people was like salt in the wound. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. necessary. It didn't do anything other than, I don't know, maybe make him feel better. Um, and it actually probably made everyone else go, oh my goodness. I don't want to make the same mistakes that Jesse made or, oh, thank goodness it's her, not me. I, I, that's another big thing that I remember where I used to, you know, work that, you know, sometimes you'd be waiting for the boss to pick someone like who was getting in trouble today. And you kind of held your breath and like, oh, okay. It's, you know, and how awful to think. I'm glad it wasn't me this time. So that's, and it also creates, I feel like that type of leadership creates defensiveness or it fosters defensiveness because, you know, I've had um, team members who were afraid, you know, they'll hide behind. I'm afraid to tell you like, but you haven't given me a chance as a leader to show you how I'm going to react. So from, you know, when you even have team members coming onto your team, they're coming on with baggage, right? 100%. Just like a relationship, they're 100%. coming on with baggage and you can't, 
you can't own their past leaders um, missteps, but you do have to try and figure out how to um, build a relationship or a partnership from that. Um, but it is, it is a two-way street. You have to be willing to share your mistakes and deal with the consequences. Um, and it's okay that there's consequences, right? We, we need to get out of this perfection, scared of getting in trouble, all of that, because it really just, it squashes, it squashes ideation, innovation and, and growth. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, as, as you were talking, what I was thinking about is it's, it 100% squashes like creative thinking and innovation and growth. And it also like when you have that person on the team, that's my three-year-old. Um, she seems very upset with you right now. Very upset. I locked the door. Um, so she can't go. In. So um, the, you know, when you're talking about the new person on your team, like a hundred percent, like people are going to come with their own perceptions. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's so important when you are, when you're, when you're building relationship with someone for the first time, like you have to understand like their motivations, their wise, like what are their potential blind spots? Right. And that comes, it's not going to come like overnight. Like you can't expect to have like one, one-on-one -on -one with somebody and just like, they're going to, they're going to spill their life story to you. Yeah. Like, so, you know, something that I used to always do is when new people join my team or I was new to the team, I'd be like, I'm going to schedule, um, you know, I want to get to know everybody and like what you're doing and like, we'll have that one-on-one, -on -one, but I also want to like understand you as a human. And so I would schedule like a non-work one-on-one -on -one where we would just get to know each other. And I would share a little bit about myself. I would always create a slide that was like, this is Jesse. This is my leadership. Um, yeah. Here's my family. And right. Maybe like, we can just even hear your family. Yeah, you can hear my family. <laughs> Very ironic how we well, started our conversation. It um, is. It's this time. So for folks listening, we were, Jesse and I were laughing because we both have our children home with us. And this is just how, this is how we do things now. And I told my son, he was not allowed to practice his recorder and Jessie was preparing me for her screaming child. So this is just real, raw, unfiltered uh, leadership conversations. And this is also reminds us all, like, we're human. And, yeah. and for all those leaders out there, know that your teams, you know, are your teams stressing every time they have to go into a meeting with you? Are they trying to make their work home environment um, I'm going to use the perfect word again, but like, are they trying to make it perfect so that you don't see the flaws in their, their life? And I think that, you know, Jesse, to what you were saying about really getting to know your team, it's let those moments happen, right? Let the kid play the recorder on, you know, during one of your zoom meetings, um, let the child scream, you know, during a podcast, it happens. And the more that we can be human, the more we're actually going to get to know each other and feel safe sharing our thoughts and ideas with one another. And I think the benefits when you can create a team and maybe, you know, you can talk about Google, 
um, without sharing confidential information, um, you know, being a high performance team and having that psychological safety and that culture of collaboration, you know, what benefits did it actually bring? Because I think that that's a big piece for leaders is why, why should I do this? You know, there's so many different ways that I can answer that question, but I think at the heart of it, it's when I, listen, I have, I I was not always like a great manager. Like I've, I've learned, right. Like, and I will own that. And I think, especially as I moved from individual contributor to manager, I learned a lot. Um, And, you know, and that, and that takes time and it's, you're learning and growing and you're human too. And the reason why I always leaned into, you know, leading with empathy, understanding who every person on my team was, understanding what motivated them was because I often found that that was where, you know, it, it goes back to like what we've been saying all along, right? That's where innovation happens. That's where people bring big ideas and, you know, that big idea that might seem really like audacious, like might actually just be our next billion dollar, you know, solution or product or, and so like when you're not, um, creating a culture that allows for that, you, you're just going to get the status quo. And sometimes that's fine. I think of, you know, I had the luxury of working across numerous industries and numerous companies in my time at Google. And, you know, I remember when we first started talking about the mobile moment and I was working with B2B brands and they were like, none of my clients are going to be on mobile devices. And, you know, like fast forward and, you know, people literally there's like studies that talk about like people are more worried about losing their phone than they are like their children and <laughs> like um it's just a whole nother thing but um you know this this notion of the um what what it's like it's just oh sorry it is um that's it's the innovation right it's it's like you're going to get more from your team when they feel valued when they feel seen when they feel motivated and that's true both from a sales perspective a revenue perspective a productivity perspective like when people are excited to actually log in right like when you're like going from your closet to like your bedroom or like your bedroom to your closet whatever your work from home situation is um and you're excited to log in like that's there's there's really like no monetary value to that but like there is actual tangible monetary value to your company because you're going to get that next big idea you're going to get that next like innovation that's going to drive like your you know, your revenue forward or, um, increased profits or whatever your goals are. And yes, like maybe it's a little bit, um, like extra work on us as leaders. If it's, if it's, you know, us leaning into a new skill set and a, a new muscle, but like any muscle or any skill set, once you are, you know, form a habit of it, it, it becomes like second hat. And so just like anything we learn, yes, you have to put a little more effort into it in the beginning, but it becomes second hat. And then the output you receive from your team really is, is priceless. Yeah. And I think to add to that too, 
you know, knowing that your team is, you know, quote unquote, happy, or excited about the work they're doing, that's also going to decrease their stress, right, and improve their mental wellness. And I think that's a bit of a full circle, right? They're not going home stressed out, they're not driving to work stressed out, you know, I'd like to say it's going to decrease um, sick leave or stress leave or anything like that. And ultimately just, I truly believe that there should be more people in the world who enjoy their work because you spend so much time doing it. And I think that there's a spot for everyone. I think that there is, you know, you know, your joy of genius. I think that there, everyone has their genius. And once you find it, you should really enjoy it. And it shouldn't be sucked out of you by the job. Um, I think there's so much great things. That, and I'm sure you and I could chat forever because we have in the past. Um, but as we wrap up, I have three questions for you. Yeah. Okay. So one, what has been your biggest aha moment as a leader? My biggest aha moment as a leader is the, that's a good question. I had to think about it. I, I think it goes back to what we've been talking about. We're all human. Yeah. And the sooner you recognize that and treat people that way, that like you just realize that once you understand what motivates them and are able to, to tailor opportunities for them to, to drive them forward, that, that that's been my biggest aha. Yeah. Like seeing the person as a person, not the role they do. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And candidly, when you're able to do that, like when you're able to see per- the person as a person and understand what motivates them, you can take stuff off your plate. There were plenty of times where I would, you know, like something I was giving somebody was like, quote unquote, my job, but it was a growth opportunity for somebody else. And so, you know, it was an area that they wanted to lean into. And so, you know, I would frame it in a way, like, I wouldn't just be like, here, I'm giving you my, like this, which is supposed to be mine, but it would be, Hey, you, you mentioned that you're interested in a mentoring. Like, are you interested? We have two new account managers coming onto the team. Are you interested? Like you wouldn't be their formal manager, but are you interested in some mentorship? Um, this is what that could look like, like thoughts. What, what would you add? What would you need support on? Right. And then that takes something off your plate as a leader, but it gives somebody the opportunity to grow. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Okay. Next question is what is the most uncomfortable part about being a leader? The most uncomfortable part for me was realizing the power that I held that I didn't really always want. And, you know, I mentioned that I went from being an individual contributor to a leader. And I think that that shift um, and that you are giving people, you know, performance reviews, you are handling their salary, you are handling delicate HR issues. um, That to me was, was a harder transition to make and was not something I always felt I don't want to say like uncomfortable about, but it was just, just the power that you do have as a leader. Yeah. 
No, and I think that that's probably a very common theme for most leaders is how to separate that. Um, so what is one piece of advice you have for future leaders? For future leaders, I would say, you know, understand, it, it goes back to like what we've been talking about, like the, the I feel like the, the unintentional theme of all of this, right, which is people just want to be seen, heard and understood. And the sooner you realize that and you can model what that looks like for your team and for you, the the better off I think we are as, you know, not only a team, but like quite frankly, as a, as a nation, as a globe, as, as the world, right? Because when you're able to truly meet people where they're at and understand where they're coming from, there's just, there's a gift in that. And I think that's true both from a team perspective, but I think that's just, that's just true for life right now. Yeah. For human beings, treating people like human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesse, I have loved our conversation. Tell everyone, where can they hear more from you, follow you, see you? Where can, yeah. where can people connect with you? When I'm not wrangling my three-year-old. Um, <laughs> out of a temper tantrum. Uh, you can find me. Uh, so I have a podcast. This is my truth, which is a platform for um, people to come. And, you know, I, my mission is to create community and connection through sharing personal stories, because I think so often we all have moments that we, we very rarely talk about. And um, I just create that space for people to share because I truly do believe our, our superpowers as humans, are our ability to connect and have empathy and storytelling is, is one way to, to lend itself to that. And um, you can find me on my website at jessiesherleff.com. Um, you can also reach out to me on social media at this is my truth podcast on Instagram. And I just, I love connecting with other humans. I think that there's just something so magical and being able to, to share experiences. So I would love to, to connect if you have any thoughts or feedback on my own experiences or, you know, the way that I've led, I, I, again, we're all growing and learning and I would, I would welcome that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and same. So I would love to hear from all of you listening you know, share with Jesse and I, what have been your biggest aha moments and learnings from, from our conversation. And Jesse, we absolutely need to do this again. I would love that. All right. Have a great day. Thank you.